This podcast does not provide medical advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast. I'm Marianne Matzo. And I'm looking for my glasses. I know they're here somewhere. Are they on top of your head? No, um, no they're not. But they're, I'll find them. So find your glasses, put your feet up, relax, have a drink or two. And thanks for spending the next hour with us as Charlie talks about death positivity. And the second half, I'm going to talk about children's understanding of death by their age. And in the third half, we're going to be performing a scene from Charlotte's Web in our ongoing segment of Funeral Theater, where we put the fun in funeral. I always have trouble getting that out of my mouth. So, So, Charlie, talking about children's grief is really difficult. And last time we talked about it, you had a chocolate cake recipe for me. Do you have another one? Um, yes, and ironically, this week we have a death by chocolate cake recipe from the big man's world. This death by chocolate cake is truly a chocolate lover's dream, made with two, not one, and three is too many, but two kinds of cocoa powder. There's no butter. There's no, wait a minute, no butter. Wait, what? Why are we going to eat this if there's there's no There's no butter. That already, that immediately sends a red flag. End up a red flag. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really wondering if right. this is going to comfort me. Well, Charles. Then, uh, I'm, I'm uncomfortable now. Should I continue or have a butter yeah, rum? No, yeah. we're here. Let's continue. Yes, yes, yes. So there's no butter. <laughs> there's no butter, no eggs, and no milk what? needed. What? What? Okay, who came up with this recipe? Um, the the big man in the big man world. So, Clarence from uh, Springsteen's band, The Big Man. Wait a minute, is that, is that was his nickname, The Big Man? Yeah. No, Big Boss, Big Man. Okay, so we he look forward. We we would look we look forward <laughs> to your to your emails and uh, questioning. <laughs> why don't you know Clarence's? Uh, you know, nom de plume. Okay, fine. What am I talking? Oh yes, this recipe without butter. So going back, but there are, okay. Or milk or eggs. But the cake is moist. The texture is moist. Or you know what? In all fairness, let's start this again. Big man's world, um, chocolate lover's dream. Yeah, right. Made with two kinds of cocoa butter, no butter, no eggs, and no milk. But you'd never tell. I'm I'm telling you now, but uh, I guess you would never could tell. Yeah. Now, the texture of the cake is moist and fluffy with a tender crumb. Flavor-wise, I guess this shouldn't be something where I fill in the blank because there's something listed here. (laughs) Flavor-wise, it is loaded with chocolate flavor in every single bite. Ah, and here's the rub. A vegan lover's delight. Uh, well, we have vegan fans, so we have to have vegan death by chocolate cake. You know cake. what? We don't have to, but we do. Because, because we, we love you. That's right. Yes. And, Why? And, and, and because we, we love, love you. That's right. And please forgive uh, all of Marianne's criticism about the, about vegan cake. I, of course, <laughs> I, of course, would, would <laughs> never do that. <laughs> You're evil. So, so Charlie, vegan. what mm-hmm. is this? What is all this fuss about death positivity? Well, Marianne, I'm glad you asked. Well, you know, let me ask you something. Do you, and, hmm. and this is the wrong question to ask you, but let's say we ask the general audience, do you ever feel morbid because you think about death or talking about it? And I don't mean that you're <laughs> obsessing about it, but I mean that you maybe feel weird enough to worry what other people might think. I mean, to the point that you keep, your thoughts about death to yourself? Well, you are not alone. As a country, we prefer to n- not talk about subjects that are considered taboo, like sex and death. And why some folks, instead of uh, um, you know dyeing their hair a natural color, choose colors that do not exist naturally in nature. But to quote uh, singer Sam Cooke, Does that explain mm-hmm. your purple hair? Purple Rain. Yeah, Sam Cooke, Prince, 
Okay, I, I kind of see a connection there. Not really, but uh, yes, that probably does. Okay. Where was I? Oh, quoting Sam Cooke. But to quote Sam Cooke, a change is going to come. The positive death movement, or death positivity, a phrase coined by mortician and best-selling author Caitlin Doty, who we recently discussed in a recent episode, or we discussed recently in a recent, we discussed it, I talked about it, uh, includes websites and activities such as death cafes, uh, a growing number of death doulas, uh, podcasts such as Ask a Mortician, Sex, Death, and Money, Everyone Dies, that's every, the With number the one, number dies, one number dies, dies, dot dot org. Org. Um, and step by step, inch by inch. So, a couple of years ago, their Shotzi Weisberger, retired, was, retired, was uh, enjoying a party in her honor on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. It was her funeral, or as she pronounced it, her funeral. People decorated a biodegradable cardboard coffin with handwritten messages. Ms. Weisberger wanted to tell people what she had learned about death and dying. At age 88, and remember folks, it is never too late to start something new, she found a second calling in the positive death movement to help break the taboos around discussions of death in order to normalize death. So, people connect on blogs and YouTube channels. Some gather at monthly events such as the Death Cafe, which is a group dedicated to the discussion of death with no agenda, objectives, or themes. It's a discussion Sort of group. like our podcast. Um, well, yes, there we are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we have no agenda. Huh? <laughs> no theme. We have no agenda, no theme. Yes, we have no agenda. We have the... Um, uh, so yeah, so the death cafes just discuss death. It's not it's not about a you know grief support group or counseling section session. People just sit and talk about death. Uh, other programs like the Death Lab um, or the Art of Dying cover a variety of subjects, including green burials or certified training for end of life doulas. The Conversation Project offers a guide to end of life, while we croak. And act the name, it's the real name. We Croak is an app that reminds you we're all going to die. I love that That's name. That's cool. <laughs> we, we Croak. <laughs> so as we've discussed at uh, an earlier podcasts, people generally avoid talking about death. And the silence, metaphorically speaking, kills us by diminishing our lives leading up to the end. At the height of the first wave of COVID-19, or as many doctors and uh, scientists observe, we're still in the first wave. People stricken with the virus were dropped off at hospitals. In this driveway moment, they learned to say goodbye in their cars because to curb the risk of spreading the virus, hospitals across the country banned visits from families and friends. And unfortunately, at the you know, recording this podcast, uh, there's a resurgence in this. So many COVID patients die alone. Now, several years ago, the aforementioned Ms. Weisberg was sitting with a friend who was dying of cancer. Her friend was so scared she couldn't talk about it. Ms. Weisberger said she kept urging her to talk about what was going on, but her friend wouldn't, and then the friend died. I mean, never dealing with her death not only for herself, but then also for no one else either. Around nine, no, 20, 20, when 2003, uh, a social worker noticed that the amount of attention and emotional support a doula, you know, traditionally a birth doula, give during and after childbirth, well, all of that could be applied to dying people, hence the creation of an end-of-life doula. And these are popping up all over the country, people learning this, um, this trade. Shawana Ebenstein, a graphic designer, observed, and I quote, we just don't know what to do with death anymore. It's this big, scary thing. We don't have a set of rituals around it that contains it or gives it meaning. Ours is the first culture to pathologize 
I can speak, to pathologize an interest in sex. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't see the connection there, Charlie. Um, to, to pathologize an interest in death. Sex and death, actually, if you think about it. So Ms. Ebenstein started a blog called Morbid Anatomy, showing how different cultures represent death. Now, only in the United States, she said, were there images of death absent from art and everyday life. In the blog, people have open discussions about simply dying in death. She was surprised at the number of people who felt isolated due to their interest in death. As she observed... We're not supposed to be curious about death, but how can you not be? It's a great human mystery. It's the thing that defines our life. But we're supposed to pretend it's not interesting to us? She withheld her name from the blog because she was afraid her clients would think she was creepy. She further explained that, um, well, think about it. Yeah, people would think that. But, 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 But it is getting better, but... No, but yeah, there, there's still that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she also explained that uh, you know your grandparents tended to die in the house. They'd be laid out in the parlor when they died, which the ladies' home journal advocated changing to the living room when the funeral parlor came around. The living room became the living room because it's no longer the parlor for laying out the dead, and that's around 1900. All of these changes are happening, and now we think of death as something that happens offstage that we don't see and children certainly shouldn't see. But, that's not, uh, but that was not possible until so recently. So, you know, humans have been dying for thousands of years, but it's really just in about the last hundred years that we pretended death is optional. We have removed ourselves from it. We have removed ourselves from death, and death is really just simply a natural part of life. Caitlin Doty, the mortician I uh, previously mentioned and also in a previous podcast as well, observed that since sex positivity was a thing and nothing to be ashamed of, then there should also be death positivity. This helped shape the death positive movement. Doty posted a series of YouTube videos called Ask a Mortician that spoke frankly about corpses and decomposition and regularly tops 400,000 viewers. In 2013, she tweeted, Why are there a zillion websites and references for being sex positive, but nothing for being death positive? Her first book, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, Another Lesson from the Crematory, became a bestseller. Her latest bestseller is... Will my cat eat my eyeballs? Well, and all of you who are now suddenly wondering, uh, the answer is generally no. Your cat will not eat your eyeballs. But, as Caitlin points out in her book, cats tend to consume human parts that are soft and exposed, like the face and neck, with special focus on the mouth and nose. So think eyelids, lips, or tongue. I'm sure you cat owners will rest comfortably knowing this. <laughs> Fluffy, Fluffy, put that down. Put bad kitty. Uh, my 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 kitty <laughs> Fluffy is over there taking notes. Bad kitty. Additionally, uh, sorry. Addition, additionally, there were you know there were other questions. Uh, Kate and Caitlin answered in her book, including: Is it true people see a white light as they're dying? What would happen if you swallowed a bag of popcorn before you died and were cremated? And, and, and I know for me, who, who loves popcorns at, at movies, which there are none of in the public right now in New York, this, was, this popped into my mind from time to time. What would happen to me if I were, uh, if I had eaten popcorn and were cremated? Marianne, has that ever crossed your mind? Daily, but it's not eating popcorn. It's eating the unpopped corn. But who would eat unpopped And then... Oh, so like that the when bottom you of the cremated, bag, right. uh-huh. yeah, yeah. it would pop with the high heat. Huh. It would cause a big explosion. If you ate the corn, the popcorn that was already popped, well, that's boring because it would just go through your digestive tract. But if you ate 
the and please don't do this at home, anybody. This is just Charlie and I. And not only just not at home, anywhere. Well, well yeah. yeah I, don't swallow mm-hmm. corn kernels that haven't been popped. Oh, what? even if even if well, well, it'd probably be kind of painful coming out. I, I would, All those little I, I would, pebbles of corn just popping out your. Well, I don't know. I guess right, it. I guess it depends. Don't on, don't I mean, overthink this, for, Charles. Well, no, no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just. Just don't do it. Darn it. I'm 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 sure in my in my lifetime I, I had there there were times it's in the bottom of the bag or the theater I reached down and just you know popped in a bunch of kernels. I, I'm sure I have occasionally um, swallowed a kernel and. And pooped it. A and poop, kernel? When pooped it or without an a entire pop. bag of cur or or an entire bag. No, There's I a look, difference. You know, I don't go to the store and buy a a bag of uh you know of, of kernels to pop and sit in front of the telly and start, you know, popping seeds into my mouth. No, I mean accidentally. But that's that's but, what I was talking about, is that if you ate mm-hmm. a whole bag of the seeds oh, a whole and bag. then died. Yeah, and then died and then was in the crematorium, mm-hmm, in the, mm-hmm. in the, um, uh, shoot, what that's, oh, I don't um, know what it's the, called, um, it's not the, coming to me. Yeah, this is not good, neither one of us. Yeah, no, um, but anyway, and they turn up the heat, would you, the idea would it pop? is, right, right. would it pop, hmm. and it probably would, unless it got like too soft by your gut fluids, but anyway... No, sorry. That, what now, now I'm what else to, do you want to say about death positivity, uh, Charles? No, nothing. Now, now I'm fixated on this. Is oh, that's interesting. Would it pop? Well, I guess not, because the heat would be so hot. Well, okay. You know, you know, if if anyone out there has has any ideas on this, um, shoot, drop us an email. Fine. But don't do it. Don't do it, though. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Don't be the experimenter. The experiment, T. The experiment. The experiment. You don't be the experiment. Just don't do it. Yeah, just, just don't do just, it. Just don't do it. Hi. Now I'm afraid to ask to say anything else. That's a question that we're opposed to her. Actually, somebody also did ask. Uh, um, oh, if uh, about an astronaut, if uh, an astronaut were to, were to die in space, um, what would happen to the body? I mean, it's a pressurized suit, but in, in time, that suit is no longer pressurized. So. Okay. So did she have an answer? Um, okay, full disclosure, I did not read the book. Um, I, I saw there were some highlights, and, and the highlights uh, included some of the questions which were asked. But, um, hmm. Charlie's yes. bagged. He didn't do his homework. Nobody likes a tattletale. Remember that. <laughs> Well, and actually, speaking of things uh, blowing up and dying in space, um, you know, in the age of their uh, internet, there is digital immortality. There are there are places, uh, companies now where you can live on. You know, after you die, and so that so then that begs the question: Do you want your online presence to live on when you die, or is that it, folks? Folks. And speaking of the internet. Young people are embracing planning their own funerals. As Caitlin observed, we are a generation that is less willing to be shamed for our interests and difficult topics. I have to agree with her on that. Now, next, the following happened. 27-year-old Liz Eddy got a call that her grandmother was dead. She went to her grandmother's house where there were two police officers, a nurse, and her grandmother's body. They asked her what she wanted to do. So, like any other red-blooded American, she Googled, what do you do when someone dies? She spent a year with the logistics of her grandmother's death, which led to her creating Lantern, a digital end-of-life planning tool. Hmm. Yep. So, perhaps you tell your significant other or a friend what you want at the end of your life, but they can't abide by your wishes, so they can't follow through. It is important that you not only discuss what you want, but also how you plan to get there. You have to figure out what safety nets to make for yourself. And for this, you have to talk about it. 
remember our big word here. Well, we have many big words here. Prepare. <laughs> White Castle. That's a big word. <laughs> and, and also with, with prepare. Uh, you know, if you're going to have a martini on the on the on the air, you need to prepare that bad boy in advance. If you're going to mix it on the air, you need all the tools there in front of you. The, the mixers. Well, mixers. <laughs> Who needs a mixer? Um, preparation. Yes. Yes, that's right. So talking about it, let people know your wishes. Make sure they will follow through on your wishes. You know, you may want to donate your body to science and be a cadaver today. But in a few years, hey, you may want a green burial so you sprout a tree. The number of Americans dying. The number of Americans dying is expected to rise by more than one third in the next 20 years. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, said that remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've encountered to help me make the big choices in life. This is a positive death activity. Embrace mortality. Learn to live with less fear. And don't let death have the last word. Marianne, back to you. Please go to Everyone Dies and send us your recipes to share with others. Also, we appreciate your questions and anything else you want to tell us. You can email us at mail at everyonedies.org. That's M-A-I-L at E-V-E-R-Y, the number one, dies.org. Please join our Facebook group, Everyone Dies, and please remember to rate and review this podcast. Molly, our fantabulous light dancer, Twitter two shoes, is hoping that you contribute to making everything right in her world. But she suddenly did your Rogers. Us. Okay, sorry. What? <laughs> uh, by following us on Twitter and reposting her tweets. So, in our second half, we're going to be looking at grieving at different stages. Children go through. Um, growth and development. They're not the same at six months as they are at six years. And so they don't grieve the same or they don't understand death the same in different periods of their lives. So I thought I would give you just a snapshot of how children change and how they begin to to think about um, dying and death. And I also put a handout yeah, – yeah, I'm a teacher – so I put a handout um, link in the podcast – so that if you wanted to print it out, um, if you've got children of different ages, you're going to have to approach how you talk to them differently. And so this uh, handout will help you. So in the ages two to four, um, children might say things like, is grandma coming back from heaven now? Or I want to call her and I want to tell her to come back. Preschoolers really struggle with understanding that death is permanent. In their minds, death is like going on vacation. Someone they love has left for a while, but they fully expect them to return. They also expect to have some kind of contact with the deceased person, something like phone calls or texts or letters or Skype. They may react with sadness, but their predominant experience of grief is confusion and insecurity, a response to the emotional stress and upheaval they sense in their home. Outbursts of frustration or anger are typical, too, as they struggle to understand why the one who died does not return. In their confusion, youngers may seem to make false conclusions about cases of death, which may lead to some seemingly irrational terms. For example, uh, they might become fearful of germs or becoming ill since grandma died after getting sick. They may fear hospitals because... People die in hospitals. They may fear traveling in a car um, following a loved one's death in a car accident. They may fear sleeping after overhearing that a loved one died in their sleep. Um, Common euphemisms such as being called home or asleep in the Lord or we lost grandpa can cause all kinds of misunderstandings for children as they age. As they interpret such phrases literally, even young children should be told the truth about what happens in a brief, clear, age-appropriate way. So in the age two to four age group, there may be some behaviors that they exhibit related to the, to the death that you might not have anticipated. 
They may ask frequent questions about the deceased and need to be told many times over that the loved one has died. There may be increased separation anxiety, clinginess, sleep disturbances, regression in their behavior, um, perhaps forgetting potty training skills or return to thumb sucking or insistent on sleeping with mom and dad. There may be irrational behaviors that they use to interpret everyday life. Parents should gently explore whether the child has incorrectly connected the dots between death and certain activities that lead to irrational fears. The example of the car. You know, oh, I don't want to get in the car. That's, that's how people die. Yes, it's possible that there could be an accident, but, you know, that's not that common of an experience, and talk about it, hug them, and uh, help them get through that fear. Now, ages four to nine, uh, kids that age might ask, uh, where will we keep uncle's body after they burn his coffin? Um, During the early elementary years, children tend to personify death, thinking of it as a specific entity, such as the Grim Reaper, who targets a small number of unfortunate people. It hasn't yet occurred to them that everyone eventually dies. Mm -hmm. In their minds, they are immune to death themselves or will somehow escape it. And, you know, I personally, that's how I think many Americans just see the whole death thing, too. It's yeah, like, I agree. oh, that happens to other people. Yep. It's not going to happen to yeah, me. I agree. But it's normal for children in this four to nine age group to seem preoccupied with the subject of death. They are in a fact-finding phase, gathering intel about this confusing topic and struggling to figure out who is likely to die and who isn't. They may not yet realize that death is permanent, but they do perceive it as a separation. The prospect that they could be separated from mommy or daddy for some time generates anxiety about who would care for them in the meantime. So some behaviors that you might see in the four to nine-year-old that you might not anticipate would be questions about surviving loved ones, like how long until you die, or their health. Are you sick enough to die, like grandma did? And this brings us back to the model we always talk about, about that there are three reasons that people die. You die because you're very, very old, very, very sick, or very, very hurt. And if, you, if that is your mantra, then you can say, Grandma was very, very sick, but I'm not very, very sick. Oh, yeah. So, 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 just, they, so like to anticipate their, um, yeah, their fear, their concern. Yeah. Sometimes kids don't know, don't know what they want to ask. But if you're seeing behaviors that suggest that they're anxious or upset, you can talk about it. You know, they might look at you and say, well, Alice wasn't what I was upset about. I was upset because you served peas. But, you know, (laughs) whatever, it's okay to to bring it up and chat with them. Um, They can ask uncomfortable questions about burial, cremation, what happens to the body and the soul. It's important to give simple, truthful answers to these questions. What I would suggest is that you answer what they ask you. Don't think, oh my God, now I've got to tell them everything about everything. It's the same as when kids ask you about sex. If, if they ask, you know, whatever they ask, just answer the question. Don't tell them more than what they want to know. If they have a follow-up question, trust me, they will ask you. Um... So give simple, truthful answers. Youngsters are often left to fill in the blanks for themselves, often internalize all kinds of mistaken and extremely frightening ideas. Um, A common misperception is that their loved one is going to be buried alive or burned alive. I can remember I was in kindergarten when my grandfather died, and I'm going to the funeral home, and he was in the coffin, and the bottom part of it was closed, and all I could see was the top part of him. And I guess I had that kind of weird brain as a six-year-old because I stood there for the longest time puzzling out where his legs were. Did they cut them off? Oh, and, okay. Did they fold them okay, under? Sure, yeah. Where's the rest of him? Because all I could see was the top part of him and then, you know, uh, flowers. Did, did and I said ask? to my mother, oh, yeah. 
I said to my mother, well, where are his legs? And I got kind of um, the answer of like, they're right there, you know, kind of the tone of how could you be so stupid? Right, right. So um, I went back and, you know, again, I'm like, okay, well, they're right where? Because, you know, they have that little curtain right, thing they, right, exactly, over yeah, the belly. Yeah, you, know. Yeah. you know, to, to me, th- those legs were somewhere because mom said they were right there, but I couldn't see them. And it puzzled the heck out of me. And so I made up my own story about them. Meaning, you know, oh. they, they must have they must have tucked him they must have tucked them under and thought, how the heck they get grandpa's body to do that? Or they cut him off and tucked him under. But either yeah. way, they were all in that that left hand <laughs> side of that casket. <laughs> so don't do that to your children, people. No. Explain it. So around the ages of four to seven, watch closely for signs of false guilt. It's not unusual for a child to conclude that they are somehow responsible for the death. Um, they might think, oh, I was mad that my baby sister cried so much. Now she's dead. I made her die. It's an extension of this erroneous thinking that a child can conclude that they deserve to be punished for causing the death. Sometimes exhibiting uncharacteristically bad behavior to elicit the punishment that they deserve. Alternatively, they may expect that their exemplary behavior on their part will bring the loved one back. I can remember doing a hospice visit of a young boy who was dying. And the he had a little brother in this four to nine age group. And yeah, everybody was focusing on the brother who, the older brother who was dying. He wasn't that much older, but older. And the little boy was sitting on the ground playing with his Power Rangers. And I kind of sat down with him and I said, so what you doing? And he said, well, I'm trying to figure out which Power Ranger my brother needs to take with him when he dies. Because, you know, each one of those Power Rangers had different skills, Oh right, and right. He was yeah, trying yeah, to f- yeah. He was trying to figure out what skill oh. in which Power Ranger his brother was going to need. And so instead of saying, "Well, that's freaking stupid. He's not going to take any Power Rangers with him." You know, it's like, "Well, so what are you thinking? Which what what do these all do?" You know, and to have the conversation about, "Well, what will they need?" So just meet people where they are. Ask them, the, ask them what they're thinking about it. If it's a, a little child or even an older person, just say, well, tell me, what are you thinking? What do you think that they're going to want to need? Now, ages 9 to 12, um, th- they might say things like, my friend's mom has died. Um, I hope he won't have to move away. Preteens understand that no one escapes death, including themselves, and they begun to contemplate eternity, heaven, hell. They may need a lot of reassurance that as they begin to realize their own mortality, that when they're faced with news of death, preteens may seem fixated on details about the incident and are practical ramifications of the loss. They may feel pressure to appear mature or to stay strong for the sake of others and may crack jokes or feign nonchalance to hide their unease. Don't put undue pressure on children to be strong for your mom. Oh, they have to grieve. They're not going to be strong for their yeah, mom. Yeah, they absolutely. need to yes. to do their own work. Don't don't put that pressure on a child. Behaviors that you might not anticipate in the nine to twelve year old. Um, questions that may seem a bit clinical, insensitive, or inappropriate. They might ask questions like, "Was there a lot of blood?" or "Will the family have to move now?" They have may have. Practical questions um, that are often prompted by anxiety about the future in light of the loss or the need to feel back in control of their lives. Fierce anger targeted at others uh, for irrational reasons. For example, statements like, if he hadn't had to pick you up at the dock at soccer, dad wouldn't have had that accident. Remember that underlying all that anger is a whole lot of despair and worry. And that kind of behavior can show up in other age groups as well. Teens. Uh, many teens are afraid of death, but their reluctance to dis- 
but they're reluctant to discuss their fear. It's common for teens to discuss disguise their fear or to behave recklessly to help them um, beat their fear or regain a sense of control. Conversely, though, plenty of teens take risks because they are certain it's not going to happen to me. You know, things like drinking and driving, not wearing a seatbelt. You know, yeah, that happens to other people, but that doesn't happen to me. So behaviors that you might not anticipate. Um, They might share thoughts and emotions about a deceased loved one with friends rather than with their parents. You know, once a kid gets to about ninth grade, they're going to talk to their peer group. They're really not going to be doing a whole lot of talking to you as the parent. Um, There may be resistance to talking about their loss to protect their parents from further pain. You might find out that they're skipping school, becoming defiant, or engaging in reckless activity. They might turn to substance abuse, develop an eating disorder, or sinking into depression under the burden of grief, plus other stresses of being an adolescent. So, how do you help children cope with grief um, through all of this? Um, And it's there's a acronym called CHILD, C-H-I-L-D. So C is for consider um, the, new, the unique situation of the child, his or her developmental capacity to understand, and his or her concerns, thoughts, feelings, and relationships to the person who has died. H is for honesty. Use the word, the D words, death, die, dying. Realize that it's all right not to have all the answers. Avoid euphemisms. Avoid words such as gone away or went on a trip. Do not explain to a child that the dead person is sleeping. Please, don't do that. Your kid will have trouble going to sleep because <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. you've told yeah. them yeah. that they, other people died in their sleep. The I is involved. Let the child know what is happening, if possible, before the death occurs. Give the child factual knowledge about the cause of death, especially school-age children. Involve the child in saying goodbye to the dying and the deceased. Allow the child um, the choice to participate in the funeral to the level that they feel comfortable. Let the child make those decisions. Um, Listen. Concentrate on discussing the stumbling block of the moment. Let the child talk through what's on his or her mind. Let the child know that it's all right not to want to talk to anyone anymore about the death for a while. Give the child outlets for expressing his or her grief, like art, drawing, play, writing letters, poetry stories, hammering on something. Be aware of thoughts and fantasies that the child may have of being reunited with the person who has died. Pay careful attention to any suggestion of suicidal risk, no matter what the age of the child. Because a child who doesn't yet understand that death is permanent may take an act that results in their death. And, you know, you just need any talk of, of, of suicide needs to be taken seriously. Clarify that death is not the result of the child's action or thoughts. Be attuned to magical thinking involving the child's expl- explanation of the death and correct it to avoid guilt and inappropriate grief reactions. And D is do it over and over again. Appropriately share your grief. Realize that children cannot do grief work without permission and role models. Children need to see an honest expression of emotions from adults. Keep in mind the development of capacities of the child and his or her age-related concerns and needs. Like I said, I put in um, a handout that you can use to look at different ages and, and understand developmentally where they are and what that means for their reaction to death. And um, the CHILD acronym comes from Davies and Orloff um, in their book, The Textbook of Palliative Medicine. So, any questions, Charles? No, that's a lot to take in. But it's it good, is um, a lot, which is why that yeah. that handout is really helpful because you can print it out and kind of refer to it at your leisure. 
Yeah, I'm just, um, you, you know, my thought is just, you know, like with anything, I mean, the influence we have, uh, we have on our kids and they will, you know, grow up. You, know, you want them to become, you know, their own, their own person. But if someone, and, and again, not intentionally told, oh, well, like, like you had said, you know, grandpa's sleeping or grandpa's away. Um, you know, it's not going to imagine it wouldn't ruin someone, but it, it, it'll, yeah, it, it just, it just takes away from, you know, reality. It, uh, yeah, of, of something that's just a natural process of life dying. Um, yeah. Well, we were at yeah. the beach over Christmas and, um, walking with our grandson and he found a crab leg and, talked I showed him like how the crab leg work how the joint articulated and and uh, he's asked about where the rest of the crab was I said well he's he's probably dead because he was very very hurt when he lost this leg or maybe you know he was eaten by another fish in, in the sea but um I think he's probably dead, you know, and, and I said, when, when people or animals are really, really hurt, they die. He's like, oh, now he's three. Yeah. So we finish our walk, we go back, he holds on to this crab leg, <laughs> and <laughs> he, he runs up and shows it to his dad, and he says, look, you know, look what we found, and, and his dad said, oh, is the rest of the crab off with his mom? And Jax looks up at his dad, he says, no, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of just went, oh, God. <laughs> because the way Jack said it was like, you dummy. <laughs> Look at it. So little kids can learn it. Yeah, absolutely. And, yep. yes. and you know, we can change fears of death by helping children learn that it's normal, learn how it happens and learn that you can survive it, that it's not easy, but you can survive it. I mean, in terms of other people dying. So we have resources for you on our webpage and in our third half, um, because Charlie is an actor and, um, we like doing scenes. Uh, we're going to do a scene from, um, a children's novel by E.B. White called Charlotte's Web. And in that story, um, a young girl named Fern rescues a runty piglet, raises it as her own, and names him Wilbur. However, after Wilbur grows into a pig, um, she's compelled to sell him to her uncle Homer Zuckerman down the street. So at Zuckerman's barn, Wilbur meets a lot of different animals and learns about them. And that come winter, uh, he's going to be slaughtered for food. So fearing for his life, Charlotte, who's a gentle and wise spider, who he's befriended, um, vows to save his life. Um, you know, Marianne, before we begin, um, I'm reminded of this with, uh, with Charlotte's Web. You know, um, well, I mean, did you know that uh, the state of Kansas uh, banned Charlotte's Web? Why? Well, uh, well, basically, and okay. Number one, um, the, uh, the I think it was a parents group, and then the politicians agreed with them, and they banned it. Uh, there were two reasons that uh, basically, you know, talking animals is blasphemous and unnatural. Uh, and with that thought in mind, we we will be convening a panel later on with uh, Winnie the Pooh and the and the herd from Animal Farm. Their, well, what did we grow? What was the name of mm-hmm. what was Wilbur? That was the talking horse. No, Wilbur was no, the man who the, owned it. Oh, Wilbur! Because he'd right, say, "Right, Wilbur." Wilbur. No, wait a minute. And what was the pig? <laughs> who was the pig in? Uh, uh, oh, no, that's Arnold. It's Wilbur. It's no, also Arnold, Arnold it, Ziffel in a uh, in a. Uh, oh, I don't green Acres, but uh, yeah. What was the show with the with the horse? A horse is a horse. Mr. Ed. Of course. And the... Um, Mr. Ed! That's what it. What was the name of the actor? Alan someone. He just died. He he was he was an, he was an older gentleman, uh, maybe even over 100. 
Um, he, yeah, he just died, I think, last year. Well, they, but I, but I we grew up watching right. a talking horse. Is is my oh, point? Wilbur. So how? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So how is it that mm-hmm. this story would harm children? You'd have to ask the uh, fine folks in Kansas. But the um, but the other part of this is what we were discussing. So there, yeah. So there, there were two reasons. The, some people felt that talking animals, uh, you know, was blasphemous and unnatural. And additionally, they felt um, that, you know, talking about, um, you know, Charlotte, of course, I'm not giving anything away. Well, unless you haven't read it, but I'm not giving anything away. But as everyone knows, Charlotte, the spider, the hero, heroine of the show, um, um, dies. And that speaking of dying was an inappropriate subject matter for children. That was the other reason it was banned. So well, for all of our fans in Kansas, uh, wait, is this still true? Uh, you know what? Um, I don't know. This 2006, I'm going to say 2006. 2005. Guys, if this is still true, will you fix this? It's okay hey, to talk listen, about that. Listen, we, we just had an election recently. So, um, so, you know, you're in shape. You know, for voting and doing political things, yeah, I, I think kids can handle uh, Charlotte's Web. So we have two characters. We have Charlotte, and we have Wilbur. And in the middle of it, Charlie. there is uh, a narrator. Will will step in. Um, oh, I'll uh, I'll do I'll do the narr- oh, and Charlie the Charlie gets to be and right, he'll have. Uh, yeah. And he'll he'll have a totally different voice. He'll be speaking in French, so that's how you'll know that the narrator has arrived. Says you. I have that right, don't I, yes. Charles? Yes, you do. Ah, mon chéri, my little pepe le pieu. Ariel, every stereotype. So we look forward to your letters, folks, about the, about the stereotypes. Okay, great. All right, so I think you have the first line. As Wilbur. Wow, with 514 baby spiders all over the place, it's going to be really radiant in the barn. Wilbur, I'm afraid they're not going to make it back to the barn. What? What are you talking about? You're not going to leave them alone here, are you? I have no choice. I'm languishing. What does that mean? It means I'm dying. What? You can't die. Wilbur, we're born, we live, and when our time comes, we die. It's just the natural cycle of life. No, no, just just climb down. I'll, I'll, I'll carry you the rest of the way. We'll go back to the barn, and I'll take care of you. No, Wilbur. I don't even have the strength to climb down. You have to. You've done so much for me. And it was my great pleasure. Please come down, Charlotte. Please. There must be something I can do. No, Wilbur. Don't you know what you've already done? You made me your friend. And in doing so, you made a spider beautiful to everyone in that barn. I I didn't do anything, Charlotte. You did it all. No. My webs were not miracle, Wilbur. I was only describing what I saw. The miracle is you. And then the narrator adds... Now, that isn't to say Charlotte was gone forever. She lived on in the hearts of those that knew her, and even those that didn't. Something had changed in Somerset County. It was as if people knew they lived in a special place now. And in small ways, they started being special people, a little bit kinder, a little bit more understanding, and the animals felt different too. Well, sir, the warmth of their friendship carried them through the long, cold months, 
They showed it in little gestures of kindness, unusual patience and promises kept. Even the hardest of hearts found themselves rising to the occasion. And finally, the greatest promise of all, a spring pig saw his first snowfall. It was as though through Charlotte herself had shaken it out of the sky. The stillness of winter continued to the first thaw, like it usually does. And then the first buds of spring. And before you knew it, life had come first circle. They're here, they're here. They're here, everybody. Hey, there, I'm Wilbur. I'm a friend of your mom's. Boy, are we glad to see you. Joy, Arena, Nellie, you have chosen a hallowed doorway in which to spin your webs. This was your mother's doorway. She was loyal, brilliant, beautiful, and she was my friend. I will treasure her memory forever. So to you, her daughters, I pledge my friendship. All because someone stopped to see the grace and beauty and nobility of the humblest creature. That is the miracle of friendship. It is not often that someone comes along who is a true friend and a good writer. Charlotte was both. And thank you all for listening. Please stay tuned for future episodes of Everyone Dies. Our thanks to our executive producer, retired Major General David, our producer Sandy, John, our technical advisor, Molly, our Twitter correspondent, and our friends, family, and our loyal listeners who are supporting our work at Everyone Dies. This is Charlie Navarrete. And I'm Marianne Matzo, and we look forward to talking with you soon. Remember, every day is a gift. This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, advice, messages, and any other discussion are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.